Welcome in, everybody, to hour number two of Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. We're glad you're listening as we crank it up for the second hour of the show today. Um, let, let me give you some information here right quick as we begin this hour about the Palmetto Family Council's event coming up down in Charleston on March the 18th. Now, we're starting to really get a lot of national attention about this event. Uh, we've got uh, Senator Tim Scott that's going to be speaking uh, former Governor Nikki Haley is going to be there. Uh, we're looking forward to having Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator uh, John Kennedy is going to be joining the group. And just over the weekend, we confirmed that Asa Hutchinson, who's the former governor of Arkansas, is also going to be speaking. So we're still working on that invited list. We're trying very hard to get on Governor Ron DeSantis' radar. And we're even still in contact with people in the Trump circle, that uh, there's a possibility that former President Trump would attend. Now we don't we don't know that yet, so don't. I'm not saying that he's coming, or that DeSantis is coming. I just know these five that I named have confirmed that they're going to be there. And if they're the only five, it's going to be a great event. Now, if you'd like to have a get a seat, tickets are available at Palmetto Family. Uh, you can go to the website, just Google Palmetto Family, and you'll find a, a link you can click on to get your tickets. And you might want to uh, host a vendor booth because we are going to have people uh, set up to, uh, you know, sort of greet people as they're coming in, pass out information for your nonprofit or whatever business interest you may have. And if you're interesting in, interested in hosting a vendor booth, you can also click on that link when you go to Palmetto Family, and you can... Uh, begin to uh, find out about what it would cost to be able to do that. Um, that's March the 18th, and of course that's going to be followed by a lot of speakers that are coming into Charleston. We're actually going to be welcoming uh, about 20 family policy council, council leaders from around the country to Charleston on Monday night. It's going to be a busy week for me because I've got I've to be down there involved in that event and then I'm going to have to fly to Nashville because we're having an ERLC trustee meeting uh, the same week. And um, it's just going to be a, a lot of stuff going on. What's going on in Columbia right now? Well, uh, the South Carolina Senate is going to be uh, – it needs our help, I should say, in being encouraged to take up the Human Life Protection Act. Uh, it's going to go in the committee process over in the Senate, passed the House last week. It's going to be in medical affairs. Uh, it'll probably they'll there will probably be a subcommittee hearing, and um, I, I mean I don't know why we would have a hearing. There's been so many hearings on this particular bill. I mean all summer we had uh, hundreds of people. Uh, by this time I would I dare say over a thousand people have expressed their opinion one way or the other in public at a hearing over this bill, uh, H3447. Now, I know some people say, no, that's not the same bill. Well, it's very much the same. I mean, it's the, it is protecting life beginning at conception. But they'll probably have hearings um, over in the Senate. We're going to try to, to be prepared for that. Um, medical Affairs needs to pass this bill to the Senate floor where we would hope that it would be debated and passed into law. Right now, South Carolina is still a destination state for abortions. Where There's some debate about whether we're at 20 or 22 weeks in terms of being able to have an abortion. It's, 
It's right around 20 weeks, not less than. Could be a little bit more than 20 weeks. So women are coming here from other states, particularly Georgia, where the heartbeat bill was ruled by their Supreme Court to be constitutional. Uh, we've got people coming here to have abortions. And DHEC says the number of abortions per month are are climbing rapidly. We'd be up to a we could be up as high as a thousand a month or maybe more if we don't get some legislation in place in South Carolina to protect life in the womb. What a tragedy it would be and already is that Roe versus Wade is overturned. This issue is handed back to the states and supposedly red South Carolina is one of the most liberal states in the southeast when it comes to the the number of weeks that that you can still have an abortion um i it's just unconscionable to me and it's unthinkable that we would allow this to continue but continue it will until the south carolina legislature passes a law uh, the heartbeat bill that the senate passed really has no chance in the house and there are those who say that the Human Life Protection Act has no chance in the Senate. But that can change if we begin to, uh, to let senators know on the Medical Affairs Committee and to let senators know in the, in the, in the, in the Senate, in the full Senate, that we want to see this bill passed. It's going to take grassroots support. It's going to take you and me and everybody you know that's pro-life and everybody I know that's pro-life, it's going to take all of us contacting these senators and saying, in South Carolina, we want life protected. If we don't, we're going to have up to 24,000 abortions between now and the opportunity we would have to change some of the senators over in the Senate so that we would have more pro-life senators that would be inclined to pass this legislation. So let's Let's do what we can now. We don't need to wait for that. There's too many babies dying in the, in the, in the process. Let's do that now. Uh, put the pressure on them right now. It's, again, it's the Human Life Protection Act. It's H3447, and it's now in the South Carolina Senate. If you want to get in touch with your lawmaker, go to sc.statehouse.gov, um, sc.statehouse.gov. And there you'll be able to find your senator. You can look up the members of the Senate Medical Affairs Committee. You can send them emails. You can call them um, and, and just let them know where you stand. It's vitally important that you do that today. All right. Uh, let me preview what we're going to do in this segment. Uh, just kind of a little teaser here because we're, we're about to, in the next segment, I should say, because we're about out of time here. Um, the, the nonstop worship services at Asbury College are set to end this weekend. They're going to kind of phase them out. And it's the administration stepping in and basically saying, look, we're our primary function here is education. We've got to get back. We've got students with uh, midterm exams coming up. Uh, they've got to be able to be prepared for those. And we've got to get back to some form of, of a reasonable schedule here at Asbury College. Now, my concern about this is when do you tell God that a revival is over? I mean, when do you, it to me, it just makes me uncomfortable when I hear something. And I get it. Look, please don't misunderstand. I understand the responsibility that these um, 
you know, college officials have they to their students, to the students that are not caught up in the revival, um, to be able to go to class, to be able to continue in the programs. I, I'm sympathetic to that. But the idea that you're going to set a date and say this is going to be the last um, service is a little concerning. Now, the way that they're putting this is maybe makes it a little bit better. I've been absolutely fascinated and encouraged, uh, thrilled even, by this revival that has broken out at, at Asbury uh, College in Kentucky and kind of spread to the seminary because just of space requirements. I mean, now, I mean, what started out with a few hundred has blossomed into thousands, and people are coming from all over the place. I mean, they're coming from all over the country. Some are even coming from as far away as Scotland, coming to find out what God is doing at Asbury and to participate in a genuine moving of the presence of God. These things happen very seldom in our midst, and we're desperate as a people to reconnect with the creator of the universe, to have a genuine encounter with the living God and see people come to know Christ as Savior and see a recommitment of ourselves to the things that are revealed in Scripture, the truth of God's Word. And, you know, it the, the opening line in the Washington Post says, after almost two weeks of 24-hour worship, a revival at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, will end the school said, with the last public evening service set for Sunday. So they're going to have services uh, through the day on to Wednesday afternoon. Uh, they've stopped the live streaming. They're not going to do that anymore. Uh, there are beginning to be safety concerns. Uh, people are worried about somebody coming in um, and maybe shooting up the place. And, uh, you know, so they're, they're going to be having, they're going to be checking bags uh, of people that are going in. Um, and, and look, I get all that. I, and and what, what the Asbury officials are saying, to their credit, is that it's just become overwhelming for their entire systems. Uh, one of the university officials said students have not only had to juggle various campus commitments, but also the throngs of people who have entered the dimensions of their space. That's according to, actually, that's Kevin Brown, the university president. He said, for some, this has created a sense of being unsettled and even alienation from their campus community. But what they're going to do is they're going to allow this to continue off campus. In other words, there's, there's going to be a place um, off campus. They, they're calling this an end to the public phase of the revival as it sort of moves into, a, into private areas um, of worship and perhaps a, a place off campus. I, the, thing that, <laughs> the thing that really concerns me about this, I mean, look, when God begins to do a work, I would pray that as a people we would never do anything to inhibit or stand in his way. You know, there's been no indication that this is contrived. There's been nothing that would suggest that it's nothing but emotionalism. Um, listen to David Legge. He's a he's a um, he arrived. Um, he heard about the revival while he, he was waiting for a plane at London's Heathrow Airport, 
and he arrived in he, his original plan was to minister in Little Rock, but after lining, uh, landing in the United States and talking with his host, the Bible teacher from Ireland drove nine hours to be part of the revival. And he said, the amazing thing about it is that what you're seeing is the real-time version of how revival always spreads in American history. And that when you look at this revival, you don't see, um, you know, any famous people that are involved. There's no—these are just students, musicians, vocalists, people getting up and giving testimony— People are confessing sin, they're repenting, they're coming to know Christ, um, and the pictures from here are just amazing. And some of this is beginning to spread, by the way, to some other um, campuses. You've got reports of revival services breaking out at uh, Cedarville College, um, revival services is, is at other colleges that are um, where there's an unusual movement beginning to take hold. And, you know, my prayer is that we would see this at North Greenville University. My prayer is that something like this would begin to, um, to spread here in South Carolina. We, we need this. We need a fresh wind from heaven. We need the presence of God to fall like fire um, on, on a nation that's starving for meaning and purpose and direction, and only God can bring those things. Uh, Leggy was talking about the simplicity of all. He said there were no celebrity praise leaders. There were no famous names giving addresses. There was nothing for people to go there to other than to experience the presence of God and what they felt God was doing in that space. That's revival. It doesn't need big-name preachers. It doesn't need big-name worship leaders. It just needs people who are willing to surrender and submit to a genuine work and power of God through the Holy Spirit. And I would just pray that we would begin to experience that. I, I would love to see this happen at North Greenville University. We need it to happen. Not that there's anything—I mean, North Greenville's doing fine. I mean, we're— Every day where, where Christ makes the difference and where we're equipping transformational leaders for the church and society, we do that every day in the classroom with people that are dedicated to a Christian worldview. But this that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the everyday. I'm talking about things that only God can bring and God can do. Even if you have great preaching and singing in chapel, there's something special when a move of God takes over in a way that's um, unusual. And yes, it draws people to want to be part of it because we're, I think so many people are so hungry for it, desperate even. So I'm praying that this is not going to be, even though the services are coming to an end on the campus on Sunday night, they're going to kind of have a what they call a commissioning, which, you know, I, I understand that the college officials are torn here between trying to restore some formal form of normalcy to the campus life and not quenching an, a genuine move of God. So on Sunday night, they're going to have a commissioning service where they commission all these people that have been part of the revival to carry it on privately and to carry it on even outside of the services at the college. Um, we need to pray for that, that God will... Um, honor this, and that if, if if he's still doing a work, that 
it will continue, that it'll take place in other places or it'll take place off of the college campus. But um, I, I pray that it won't be shut down. The Washington Post makes it sound like, well, you know, that they don't understand revivals. They think, well, you can just, one can start, then you can set an end date. You know, God doesn't, God is the one who gets to decide. God is the one who brings revival. And it's going to continue in the hearts of the people as long as God is working and doing a miraculous thing. Uh, You can't schedule that. You can't write it off the calendar. Um, it's it's got to be allowed to continue in some form, and I, I mean it will continue for those that are uh, that God is working. Because I'm I'm telling you, once, like I said, a few times in my life I've been associated with a a genuine presence of God falling among His people, and when that happens, you long for it. Your heart desires it. You want to see what God is going to do in your life and the lives of the people around you when he begins to move in such a powerful way. Um, so please join me and, and, and pray for this. Pray for these people. Pray for the revival that it, whatever phase it enters after it officially, uh, the, the services end at Asbury, that, that God will continue to work and move in that community in the lives of those students uh, even after the public phase, as they say, uh, may be coming to an end. Okay, just a quick reminder, his radio talk, 91.9 uh, 91. and 89.7, are changing formats on April 1st. Gary Miller's retiring uh, from his radio talk, so this particular format of talk is going to be going away, and they're going to be switching to some sort of music format. But this program um, is going to continue I'm going to be broadcasting um, out of my house um, over a website that's being uh, built right now that will allow me to stream live so that you can listen to the program live Monday through Friday from 7.30 to 8.30 by going to the website and streaming it. You can stream it through your smartphone. You can stream it through your computer, through your tablet. However, you get audio off on uh, from online, and then later... Uh, hopefully, I would encourage all of you to subscribe to the new podcast. Now, that podcast is going to be an hour long, and it's going to be called Truth in Politics and Culture with Dr. Tony Beam, and that's going to be the name of the program starting April the 1st. If you're watching on Facebook uh, from 7.30 to 8.30, we're going to be doing Facebook Live. You can watch the program just like you're doing now and comment. Um, obviously, it's going to be cut down to an hour but I'm doing that so that it can be more uh, suitable for podcasting that people, hopefully that'll expand the number of people that are listening. You'll be able to go to the website and uh, see, see things that I'm writing about the news. Uh, the format that I'm thinking about right now is I'm going to start out with um, five things in the news that you need to know and just give you a brief description. And then we're going to dive in deep on three of those issues and talk about them during the time allotted, which will be about, as we said, about 60 minutes for the program. All right. Um, This train derailment, Southern Norfolk train uh, derailment in East Palestine, uh, Ohio, is really beginning to spread. I mean, the effects of it. Uh, You've got people who are 
um, there in that community saying that they're still suffering from adverse health effects. Uh, you've got uh, Daily Wire's Morning Wire team went to East Palestine, and one of the uh, cameramen, I mean, they, they had to uh, cut the visit short because one of them began to get sick, uh, sore throat, having problems with their eyes watering. and um, So even though officials are saying it's okay to drink the water, you've got You've got federal officials saying drink the water. You've got other officials, including J.D. Vance, telling local residents in Ohio. Uh, he's the, one of the senators from Ohio. It's better if you drink bottled water right now. So, I mean, I mean, can you imagine living in that area? I mean, th- people don't know what to do. FEMA was told originally by the Biden administration that they weren't going to be getting involved. Now, There's been um, a change because you've got FEMA working with local officials saying they're going to send in some teams to assist and doing some testing to try to find out what's really going on. People are saying that animals are still dying, that the fish are dying. And now you've got Cincinnati and northern Kentucky shutting down water intakes because they're concerned about chemicals that were detected in the water that are going into those areas. Utilities in Cincinnati, this is according to Daily Wire, utilities in Cincinnati and northern Kentucky shut Ohio River water intake valves early Sunday morning over concerns about contamination by hazardous materials from a train that derailed derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. The two utilities, Greater Cincinnati Water Works and Northern Kentucky Water District, said they were taking precautions as testing found at least low levels of chemicals from the toxic spill in some places at intakes along the waterway and reports of fish dying in mass in local waterways and East Palestine residents reporting ailments such as headaches and rashes. So they're finding elements of these chemicals in the water in the Ohio River that evidently is, of course, is being fed by some of these tributaries, some of these rivers that flow into the Ohio. And as they're pulling water out to supply water for people in Kentucky and in Cincinnati, in Cincinnati um, they're finding chem- trace chemicals that could be harmful. So they're having to close those intakes and finding alternative sources to provide water until they can figure out how to get these trace elements out. Um, FEMA should have been involved in this, folks, from the very beginning. I mean, we're over two weeks into this thing, and we have a transportation secretary in Pete Buttigieg that has done nothing. I mean, basically, he's been AWOL, and this is his job. And there have been other train derailments. We told you about one last week that took place in Texas that's also released some chemicals. Now, it's not on the level of severity of this derailment, but still, um, you know, we've got issues in this country with our transportation system. And Pete Buttigieg is more concerned about equity and whether or not the right number of people are being involved in construction projects than he is with providing safety in our rail system and our transportation system overall in the country. And that's his number one job as transportation secretary. Um, President Biden um, has not visited East Palestine. 
Uh, there's some reports that he may do that. We found out today that President Trump is going to go and meet with people there. And, you know, obviously there's not a lot he can do from a government standpoint, but he can go and be empathetic, show concern and care for the people, uh, which is something that the federal government has not been willing to do very much, on uh, at least up to now. Um, and, you know, the people there are beginning to file lawsuits because they feel like that's the only course of action that's left for them. If they can't get FEMA help, um, federal emergency management, uh, if they're if they're unable to get low-interest loans to try to reclaim some of their losses, then they're, they're going to go to court. They're going to file they're filing, law, filing lawsuits against um, Southern Norfolk Rail Line uh, because of this derailment and the way that it's negatively affected their lives. We, we need a government, ladies and gentlemen, that functions the way it's supposed to. We need a government that has a transportation secretary that pays attention when we start having derailments like this and when we have a disaster on this level. And you've got people in the community that are that feel like they've been abandoned by the federal government. Finally, FEMA is going in, but they're announcing, look, it could be days or weeks before they have any real answers because the test that they're going to, con- they're going to conduct, it takes time to get those results back. Some of the tests require... Um, you know, things to be analyzed over time before they can come up with a, a real answer to what the impact of these chemicals have been by doing this chemical burn to keep them from exploding, the chemicals from exploding. They put all this toxic um, fumes in the air, and then people are being affected by it. Their health is being affected. The The federal government owes the people um, some some help here. And there's been a lot of questions raised. East Palestine is a very conservative area of Ohio. Um, and, and so it's right on the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. And some have, su- have suggested that if this had been an area populated by progressives, that there had been a much more aggressive effort to this point to try to help them. But because, you know, politically they're very conservative— then there's not as much care being offered by the government. Look, I, I have no idea if that's true or false. I'm just I'm seeing that in some of the reporting. I'm seeing those questions being raised. All I know is that the people of East Palestine have been severely hurt by this, and they need to be helped. They need to know what resources are out there. They need to know for sure what the status of the water is. I mean, they were— a lot of the people were evacuated, but when they were allowed to go back to their homes, they were still experiencing symptoms from the chemicals that were in the air. And who knows for sure what's in the water. I mean, if they're finding traces of this in the Ohio River, it didn't get there by skipping over um, all these tributaries. It, it flowed from the tributaries, from these rivers that are providing water for the East Palestine community. That, that something, the chemical, is it must still be in the water if it's being dumped into the Ohio. So a lot of questions and not a whole lot of answers. And hopefully um, the Biden administration is going to kind of get on board with this and we're going to begin to see some relief for these people. We need to pray for them. 
Uh, some of their businesses are being lost. I read a story about a, a man and his wife who had converted their business into a vineyard. And they were sort of a restaurant-vineyard combo, and they were looking forward to getting open, uh, supposed to open the 1st of March. Problem is, they were about 500 yards away from where the train derailed. And right now, they're dealing with ash that's covered their property, and they don't know they don't know what to do. I mean, it's not like you can just wade into it and begin to clean it up if it's some kind of has the residue from some kind of hazardous chemical. And so it's very likely that it's going to keep them from opening their business. There's going to be a lot of loss here. People are going to be getting sick, already happening. And the government needs to pay more attention. And we need a transportation secretary that's willing to lean into this instead of being worried about how much diversity there is on construction crews. It's just ridiculous. Okay, we've got a couple of stories to round out our program today. Uh, we're going to talk about what the government is really up to when it comes to your gas stoves. After saying that they weren't going to ban gas stoves, they've released a bunch of regulations that would essentially ban gas stoves by making them too expensive. But we'll get to that story after this one. How would you feel about your tax money going to support China-backed tech companies? Well, um, it appears that that's going to be happening because of a deal that was struck by Ford Motor Company that is um, taking money from the uh, taxpayer-funded electric vehicle subsidies in the Inflation Reduction Act, and they're partnering with a massive Chinese tech company called Contemporary Amperex Technology, C-A-T-L, and they're going to build a new EV battery plant in Michigan. So as a result of the agreement, um, this Chinese company that works in the area of technology can benefit from taxpayer subsidies earmarked to the IRA, which was intended to strengthen domestic supply chains. That, that you know, this Inflation Reduction Act, which is the IRA, is supposed to pump a bunch of money into the to the private sector to be able to allow supply chain operations to be enhanced. So Ford Motor Company, the second largest automaker in the United States, is going to be partnering with this Chinese tech company to build a battery plant with the money. So part of that money is going to be going to this Chinese company at a time when tensions are at some of their highest between us and China. And you may say, well, that's a good thing. If we've got businesses investing together with, with the Chinese, well, but, but what, about, what about the fact that American taxpayers are, are paying for this? This is coming from Fox News. It's shocking that Ford is doing this. Former White House National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien said in an interview with Fox News Digital, we just had a Chinese spy balloon traverse the length and breadth of our country and violate our sovereignty, and now Ford is partnering with our leading competitor, our adversary, to work on battery technology and build batteries here in America. On top of that, they're trying to work out a loophole to get U.S. taxpayers to support and subsidize their dealings with China and to bolster Chinese companies with U.S. tax dollars. It's a total perversion of the Inflation Reduction Act that was intended to bring manufacturing home with U.S. supply chains and exclude the Chinese. 
that was the that was the purpose. We were supposed to be building up our own ability to provide for our needs apart from China, and now we're going to give taxpayer money possibly to a Chinese company working on electric batteries. That makes no sense. You know who's really upset about this? Joe Manchin, Democrat from Senate Senator from West Virginia. I mean, he helped author the IRA, and he said that. The, that he had serious questions about this partnership bef- between Ford and the Chinese company. The agreement was similarly questioned by Senator Marco Rubio from Florida, the vice chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Quote, Senator Manchin has been clear about his grave concerns about vehicle supply chain reliance on China. Sam Runyon, a spokesperson for Manchin, told Fox News Digital, Ford has serious questions to answer before Senator Manchin can fully evaluate the business partnership. Ford has a better idea. Yeah, yeah. I got a better idea for Ford. How about build your plant investing wholly in American companies and leave Chinese technology out of it? Yes, I'm sure the Chinese have technology available on electric cars and electric batteries and how to make them more proficient. But right now, and I don't know that there's ever a time, but certainly not now, this is not the time for American taxpayer dollars to go to that project. We're supposed to be building infrastructure and building these resources here at home involving putting Americans to work, not pouring money into Chinese tech companies. Under the IRA, EVs will be barred from receiving the 7,500 clean vehicle uh, tax credit if they're assembled with a battery containing components sourced from a foreign entity of concern or containing minerals sourced from a foreign entity of concern beginning in uh, 2024 and 2025. Because China falls into that classification, the bill would disqualify EVs with Chinese source components and minerals from being eligible for the credit. China currently boasts 78% of the world's cell manufacturing capacity for EV batteries, according to the Brookings Institute, in an analysis that was released in July. The intent behind the language was to decrease reliance on Chinese EV parts and Chinese rare earth materials and minerals said Craig Singleton, a senior China fellow at the Nonpartisan Foundation for the Defense of Democracies. What we often see is the absence of very clear regulatory language. Companies like Ford will make up their own rules and sort of test and see what's possible. This is just, I think, an attempt at a creative workaround. A Ford spokesman told Fox News Digital that the company will remain in full control of the new battery facility and that the plant will be wholly owned by Ford with no foreign investment. Well, how is that possible? You think this Chinese technology company is just going to waltz in here and then they're not going to have anything to do with the plant once it's built? They're providing the technology. What's in it for them? I mean, that's, that's a very unlikely scenario that Ford just described, and they need to answer more questions about this. Another story that you need to know about today, Biden said no to outright gas stove ban, according to the Daily Signal, but they're willing to price them out of existence. Now, this is what, you're, if you remember, I told you when this story broke and everybody got upset 
and they went after the Biden administration, and the administration supposedly backed off of banning gas stoves. Yeah, they're not going to ban them outright, but they're going to make it impossible for you to be able to afford one by putting a bunch of regulations on there, purposely trying to regulate them out of the market. The Department of Energy released a proposed rule updating energy efficiency standards with new costly and stringent standards for conventional cooking products, including gas stoves that would make them unaffordable for many. Now, gas stoves are used in the restaurant industry almost exclusively. You want to talk about inflation? What do you think is going to happen if if these regulations have to be met and restaurants have to invest heavily and trying to meet these regulations, you think they're just going to keep charging you the same for a meal? No. This is a tax. This will amount to a tax on the American people, and it's an attack on a particular form of energy, natural gas, which is just unbelievable. I mean, the United States has the largest natural gas deposits in the world. And why we're not tapping into that? When it's clean energy, um, it doesn't make any sense. The new rule comes after the media hailstorm in January when a Consumer Safety Product Commission member suggested the commission would be pursuing a nationwide ban on gas stoves, citing potential health risk as the justification. But the administration's actions here, even though they held a press briefing, and said, look, we're not trying to ban anything. No, not us. Not directly. You know, somebody said the quiet part out loud, and now we got cleanup on aisle five. We got to come back and try to convince you that what we really meant was that we're not going to ban anything. We're just going to make it to where you can't afford it. It won't be a ban. It'll just be, but you won't be able to have a gas stove in your house, and you're going to pay a tremendous increase in food cost if you go out to eat because of what restaurants are going to have to do if they maintain their gas stoves. Through the use of regulations and extremely stringent energy efficiency standards that federal agencies create, the administration can slowly and methodically eliminate gas stoves from the market because these standards will make it more difficult and more expensive for companies to comply and consumers to buy, all without congressional hearings or a new law. Over 90% of gas stove models on the market today would not meet the new standards, 90%. And manufacturers would therefore be required to substantially redesign their products. The proposed actually estimates, the proposal rather, actually estimates that manufacturers will have to spend over $180 million to comply with the new regulations. Now, don't just think about gas stoves. Think about gas logs in your fireplace. Do you have those? I mean, we do. What's, it, what's that going to say to regulation about gas logs, gas products, natural gas in general? In addition to placing an undue burden on manufacturers, the Energy Department mandates are essentially throwing out consumer choice and opting for a government-knows-best approach. These standards make all kinds of presumptions about our preferences in order to justify them, including that Americans undervalue efficiency. However, research shows that consumers care about energy efficiency even before the government tells them to. 
According to a 2019 Environmental Protection Agency survey on the National Awareness of Energy Star, which is a voluntary program for identifying energy-efficient products and practices, over 50% of participants knowingly purchased an Energy Star-labeled appliance. In other words, they're looking for, they don't mind if their appliances are energy-efficient, that's better for them, and it's better for the country. But it's not better when the federal government doesn't trust the consumer to buy the things that's going to be in their best interest, so they want to drive one part of the business out of business so you can't afford a gas stove. And here's the thing. If people stop buying them in large numbers, even the people that want to keep buying them, pay the cost, they're not going to be able to find them because manufacturers have to be able to make a profit if they're going to manufacture gas stoves, and it's going to be almost impossible to do that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is by design. The federal government putting its thumb on the scale, telling you what's best, and making sure that you don't have a gas stove. Not because they ban it, but because they make it impractical. impracticable. Uh, they make it almost impossible to own because of the cost. So just another way that the, federal, the Biden administration is getting into your business. Folks, we have to vote these people out of office. We've got a process here where the American people can say enough is enough. Go to the ballot box and make a difference. Don't, don't let the election be close. Make it a landslide in favor of people who are standing up for freedom and your right to make decisions about how your house is going to be run and what kind of energy your family is going to use. That should be your decision, not the federal government's. That's all the time we have for today, but fear not. We'll be back tomorrow with another great program. I hope you'll set your alarm and get up to hear a Christian worldview with Dr. Tony Bean. Have a great day. 